Hello and welcome to the Bubble Ball Podcast. My name is Seth Nevsky. With me through the power of Zoom is my co-host, Matthew Winnick. Matt, how's it going? We're doing well. We're keeping busy and we're watching some NBA basketball. And because we've been watching some NBA basketball, we're going to get into every single team today and give a quick take about what we've seen from them so far in this Orlando bubble. Yeah, and admittedly, these takes are based on a very, very small sample. So when we make a point, don't put it in stone. Obviously, we don't expect, for example, Thomas Bryant to be basically Kevin Love with a better role game. But, you know, we're just taking it on the small game sample, seeing what's happening in the bubble, and seeing if it could be indicative of something else. Uh, but Matthew, before we get into that, what have you thought of just about the watching experience as a whole so far? To be honest with you, I don't really like it. Like, it's not bad. I, I get it. Like, you can, they've done a lot of cool things. I like the whole ref talking to the table thing. I mean, but it just still feels weird. And I know that eventually I'll get used to it. The name on the back of the jersey is obviously a great cause. But I think having both makes it kind of feel like a EuroLeague jersey where they have, like, an mm -hmm. advertisement on the top and the name at the bottom. I don't really like the both thing. But also, there are some players that need the name on the back of their jersey to be recognized. It's fine. I, it'll I get used to it, but I'm not there yet. Uh-huh. Do you know who has confused me with all that? It's De'Aaron Fox, because he cut his hair, and I think he also has a saying on the back of his jersey. So you're like, oh, who is this King's point guard who's killing it? And it's, it's who you'd expect. It's De'Aaron Fox. But I actually haven't minded the bubble experience. And, like, a lot of the games that have been, you know, have been played, have been pretty, pretty good. Like, weirdness aside, a lot of tight games, a lot of dramatic finishes. Shout out to Devin Booker for that awesome fade. Yeah. It's like, that. the basketball itself has been fun. It's a bit weird, but it's been fun. Now, here's the thing. I have been in and out this week because, I, you know, I'm driving to St. Catharines every single day. But, you know, starting on Monday, when I'm sitting in my basement doing nothing all day, I think I will much more appreciate, the, you know, like 1 p.m. to 11 p.m., day of mm -hmm. basketball that that sort of happens on a daily basis and then I think I'll appreciate it a little bit more yeah that's perfectly fair do you want to just start uh with our first team here we're going in alphabetical order for those listening yeah let's go ahead um for the Boston Celtics I have to be honest I've been pretty impressed with I mean Jason Tatum had that rough first game but in general Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been pretty solid to me but then I looked down the rest of the roster and there are players that have been playing well but I think when it comes down to it this team goes as far as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown bring them. Yeah, I think at this point, I would consider them their two best players. Uh, sorry, Kemba. Especially, you know, he's been on a sort of minutes limit now. I believe he missed a game in the bubble. They're two and two, but it's not a terrible two and two because they have the best offense in the bubble. Uh, they have a net rating of seven. And, you know, because they're such a dominating defense in the regular, regular season, I don't expect that to be too much of a problem. Uh, Hayward's three-point shooting right now it's at 29%. I expect that to bump. But, yeah, I think, like, they're two and two. I moved them down to third in my uh, Eastern ranking. Surprise, surprise. But that's not because they're playing so badly. It's just because a team that we're going to mention later is playing so awesome. Uh, so my take is two and two, but not that worried. Kind of ties into your take. Uh, yeah, Tatum and Brown, two best players. They both had some very solid performances. Obviously, outside of Tatum's, was it two for 18 to start? Around, the yeah, I think that was what it was. Mm -hmm, but yeah, so I think at this point, the hierarchy is Tatum, Brown, Walker, Hayward, and then, you know, Smart and Tice in there, which is a great top six. But 
Yeah. You know, obviously we had trouble with their bench before and like that's just coming back. Yeah. And I just think that at the end of the day, Brown and Tatum, they are their two best players, but also they're so important to their team to where if they're having, if one of them has a poor game, it's probably getting a little more unlikely that the Celtics end up winning it just because there hasn't necessarily been that dependability on Kemba with his minutes limit or Hayward with his poor shooting. And they really need both to be solid to beat the best teams in the NBA. Yeah, that's for sure. And, um, you know, another reason why I move him down is just because, like, I'm not sure how healthy Kemba is. Like, when he's been on the floor, he's been pretty good. But right now he's on 22 minutes a game. So, like, I'm not sure how that will affect his playoffs. Do you want to head to the next team? Let's do it. The Brooklyn Nets, who will probably be facing the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round, now have a win against the Milwaukee Bucks, but I believe that is the only time they will do so. Well, yeah, a couple things there. Their two wins right now have come against the Wizards, who, you know, worst team in the bubble, and the Bucks, who basically rested their starters after 15 minutes. So I'm not, like, it says two and two, and you're like, oh, they must be 500, a typical 500 team, but they're negative 6.5 net rating, which is, I believe, third worst. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so this will obviously be their only win against the Bucs. Um, did you see uh, Giannis and Hall got into it for a second there? Did you see that? I did see that. Uh, of the basketball I have watched, I did see Giannis get really mad at Dante Hall, which I think was a little funny. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're Dante Hall, nothing to lose. I, I like him. I think he's a good player. It, yeah, he's not that big for the type of player he is, but he has performed so far in the bubble. Uh, my take is I'm fully off of Levert. Uh, I was kind of near the edge of being off of Levert before, but I think this bubble, he's still just, he's taken a lot of shots that are clearly out of his comfort zone. He's almost 26 years old. He hasn't grown as a passer. He's very injury prone. And this is a guy who I once thought was better than, or not better, had the chance to be better than D'Angelo Russell. I'm since way off that. He's also shooting 15% from three. And, you know, because he's so kind of uh, lanky, he hasn't been great from two-point range outside of his rookie year. So I, I, I'm fully off of that. I'm not even sure if I consider him a trade asset now, just because, like I said, he'll be 26 coming into next year and being paid $16 million a year. So if they try to, you know, put him in a Beal trade, I'm just – I'm not sure how appealing that piece is personally. Sure. And, and that all makes sense, but there is certainly something to be said about Levert being, you know, a little bit better when, when playing with, you know, Durant and Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan versus Rodion's Karuks and Timothy Wawukaburo, who actually had a really good game against the Bucks. Yeah. Um, and, and Levert didn't play in that one, but the point is he's not the first option when you're facing playoff teams day in and day out. But he, I, I still think that as a secondary scorer where he doesn't have to take those shots he's not comfortable with, he's a good player. And I, maybe we just overvalued him for a couple of stretches where he was really awesome. I don't know. I don't trust him that much off ball. If you look at his shooting splits, he's actually a much better three-point shooter on pull-ups, sorry, on pull-ups than with catch and shoot. So I think his greatest road to success would be, I don't want to say like Penny Hardaway, but just like a tall, almost point guard. Do you know what I mean? But because the passing hasn't grown and because with the ball in his hands, he's, uh, he's not doing as well as I thought. I'm just I'm, – I'm totally off of him. And I know that, that might be a harsh statement after three games in the bubble. But 
I was drifting that way anyways. Yeah, and I do feel a little bad for uh, Jamal Crawford as well, throwing it out there. He finally got back on the court and then got injured yeah. right after he got back on the court. But I guess that's kind of what happens when you're a 40-year-old who hasn't played professional basketball in over a year. Yeah, I think uh, Jock Vaughn said he'll miss a few games. So I guess that's a good sign. His uh, bubble career is not over yet. Uh, do you want to head to our <laughs> third team? Yeah, sure. But also just really quickly imagine that's how Jamal Crawford's career ends, where like he comes back for like six minutes in a bubble, <laughs> plays, and then leaves. That, that would have been insane. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So Dallas Mavericks up next. Uh, Luka Doncic had that insane game against the Kings the other day. And that's my takeaway mm-hmm. is that like, no matter what happens, no matter how the rest of the Mavericks are playing, Luka Doncic can get them a game or two in any playoff series against anyone because he's just so dominant sometimes where most of the time, but sometimes he's just so dominant that he will get you a win or two, like he did against the Kings, although they're the Kings, but still. Yeah, I picked them as my third best team in the West. That is something I'm probably also regretting. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, Luka and Chris Stapps have been pretty good. I mean, Chris Stapps, they can both actually work on their three-point shooting at this point in the bubble, but they've both really shown up in pretty much all of their games. I'm having a lot of trouble personally with the rest of their team, and I still think now they're probably locked into the seven, so I I expect them at most to knock off like two games from the Clippers. So I think that your Luka takes right. But I, I guess I overestimated their supporting cast almost. Hardaway's been incredibly inefficient. Seth Curry hasn't played to his standard, same as Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba and DeLon Wright. Uh, actually, their best supporting guy so far has been Trey Burke, who they picked up for the bubble. And I'm actually starting to think that Trey Burke is now like a decent enough backup point guard. And I was surprised that he couldn't find a job before we entered the bubble. Yeah, I mean if- – I hate to say that, I mean, I've been right twice, but you've changed your Celtics take when I had them at three yes. and them at two. I'll admit it. I'll admit right. it. And this Mavericks take is exactly what I said, too. I didn't like their role players. I didn't like the supporting cast, especially with a couple of their guys out for this uh, uh-huh. Boy Powell and Willie Cauley-Stein, to name two that come up top of my head. They have two awesome players and one superstar. And the, just like the Lakers, who we'll get to later, they don't have a lot of impact players off of the bench. And that you need, you don't need too much depth, especially in playoff time, but you do need some. And the Mavericks, I think, can improve their team with a piece or two and like in free agency and move ahead to next season as one of the better teams in the NBA. But because they don't have that third guy or a fourth guy or anything like that, they're just not there yet. But Doncic will always get them a game or two because he's just dominant. All right, to kind of contradict myself here, just looking at who were my fourth and fifth teams, like, unless I want to go crazy and put the Thunder up here, it's not like the Nuggets or the Rockets have impressed me all that much. So um, I'm going to stick with the Mavericks, I guess, for now. I might actually move the Thunder into my third-place team if they keep up this crazy level of play, but I guess we'll get to that uh, when we get to their team. Right. Do you want to move on to the Nuggets? Yeah. Um, we both have Michael Porter Jr. thoughts yes. here, and that makes sense because Michael Porter Jr. has been the talk of the Nuggets also since they've had so many injuries to, injuries to their starters. That mm-hmm. would be a reason as to why. Uh, I get what Michael Porter Jr. is doing. He's playing really, really well, and they're putting him in a position to succeed, and he's had two awesome games in a row. I don't think it's sustainable 
because his three-point shooting numbers are great. Yeah. The thing is, I worry about he's not super quick laterally, and I worry about if people close out to him harder, like an elite three-point shooter, like a Duncan Robinson or a Davi Spurton or something like that. I don't know how well he does driving to the rim. He definitely is a good finisher, but I worry about the in-between game. I worry about his handle. I worry about him getting to the basket. And so if teams start to take away that three-pointer, he's either taking contested threes, which he can still make some because he's super long, or driving the rim. And I don't think that he has that in his game yet. Yeah, and the the drives might be tough for him just because, I mean, they're basically defending him with shooting guards. So if he doesn't get a shot atop of them, you know, he might get pickpocketed if he gets too loose on his drives. I wonder what would happen if Jokic, you know, if Jokic is off the court, put him in a bit more post-up situations, and I had a problem with him kind of just fading away from there. But maybe, you know, that'll change in the bubble. He looks a lot better. And my take is just – I'm not going to say that I think this is this sustainable, excuse me, but with that being said, like, he's been an awesome three-point shooter throughout the whole year, 43% on 2.5 attempts, so not that low. Uh, but I will say, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if – even when Murray and uh, Will Barton come back, if he is really their second best offensive player. And I'm not sure if that says more about Porter or less about Murray and Barton, who Murray, I guess, I'm probably lower on uh, compared to consensus. Right. But yeah, he's clearly been very impressive. I spoke on his rebounding. Like he's been one of the, or probably the best rebounder on the Nuggets so far. And obviously that's because of his crazy height. And like, once again, he's basically playing shooting guard now. We think he's much closer to a power forward than a shooting guard. And he's, you know, he's playing this well. So, I guess we'll see what happens in the future. Yeah, and in reality, high school Michael Porter Jr. essentially was this. And mm-hmm. so, the injuries, one in high school and then one in college, really did bring him down. But when the Nuggets drafted Michael Porter Jr., and they looked at what he did in high school when he was, you know, the national player of the year. This is what they got, an elite shooter who was bigger than everyone else at his position, and that's basically what he's been. So that's where the rebounding numbers come from because he's just bigger than the people guarding him, and also because Jokic isn't an elite leaper, but he's pretty strong. Jokic is a good – is the type of player that other people get rebounds from because Jokic will box out the big guy and then someone else comes in and grabs the board, and that's where Porter's been so successful there. But, mm-hmm. I mean, look, his future looks bright for sure, but the numbers that he's putting up now I don't think are sustainable, but I don't think that's a hot take either. Yeah, I mean, you can't really expect any rookie to put up this efficient of a 26-9, and nine, so – like, I'm not going to go that crazy. I look at some people I follow on Twitter, like friends of mine who are like, yo, I told you to watch out for this guy. But it's like, he was pretty highly touted up until college when he played two games and wasn't awesome. So I don't really think that's a hot take. And obviously this isn't sustainable, I think. And there's nothing wrong with this. I think he's much closer to Tobias Harris than Kevin Durant. Uh, but that's, you know, Harris is still a very good player. And Harris would be the second best offensive player on this Nuggets team. I really like that. The, the, like, I would say a taller Tobias Harris is essentially. Yeah, or even a Danilo. The thing is, as good, I, I, that also makes sense. But even though I was just making fun of Michael Porter's, you know, athletic ability, it's still mm-hmm. way better than Danilo Gallinari. It's better, but also I, I, 
I guess I'm going Danilo over Harris. Harris is a bit stronger. Danilo's a bit more injury prone. So I guess that's where that comes into yeah, play. I, I think if you combine Tobias Harris, Danilo Gallinari gave him like an extra inch and made him a bit more athletic, then you got Michael Porter. So yeah, mm-hmm. that works. Yeah. So next let's head to the Rockets. Uh, you know, your take I just think is hilarious. My take, it's about kind of – do you want to start with your take or should sure. we start with mine? My take is they're absolutely unwatchable. I mm-hmm. watched them play the Raptors in the preseason, and I have not watched a single second of Rockets basketball since. I might watch them if they play the Raptors again, but I probably won't watch them in any other situation because I can't do it. Like, I, I can't do it. They are a basketball team that sort of defies the logics and laws of basketball – I like basketball, but I don't like that. And I just don't want to watch it. I like it, like, partially for absurdity. Do you know what I mean? Because there have been moments in this bubble season so far where Jeff Green, who's actually been pretty good, basically he's just been left alone from the corner because they're tied so hard to James Harden and basically their whole defense is revolving around that, that he'll basically just shrug to the camera and take a three. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Obviously, it's not that crazy, but... Just some some very weird performances. Robert Covington's been awful, and he kind of, you know, has a history of shrinking in the playoffs, and I know we're not in the playoffs, but, I mean, 20% from three, not great. My take is just Westbrook has reverted, and, you know, we all appreciated what he did basically coming back from the All-Star break where he's like, I'm going to stop with uh, these outside shots. I'm just going to bring it to the hole and hope that my athleticism makes me an efficient player. And it did. But right now it's an naughty shooting 43% from the field. Uh, his three-point percentage is low. Shocker, it's Russell Westbrook. So this team has once again become Harden-centric, which has kind of affected their watchability. But Harden's playing very well. Yeah, I mean, I was not really able to watch the Rockets even when they had big guys, simply because I understand that James Harden is a really good basketball player. I don't particularly enjoy watching him. For me, I don't know, step back threes over two defenders and continuously drawing fouls is not my forte. I respect it. I don't really enjoy it. And I think for that reason, I hope the Rockets don't make it too far in the playoffs because I'd like to watch basketball games and I don't (laughs) like to watch basketball games with them involved. I don't know. Just open your mind. You know what I mean? Just accept that it's a shit show and then you'll, you'll come out of it a bit more lighthearted. I guess I might have to try that because they're not going anywhere. Uh Uh-huh. They, they haven't been all that great. They've been two and one, but with a negative, sorry, hold on. Yeah. They've been two and one, not with a negative net rating, but with a 0.3 net rating. So, you know, we'll see where they go in the playoffs. They're, you know, certainly a high variance team. Uh, do you want to talk about the Pacers and uh, Bubble Jesus, T.J. Warren? Yeah, man. I, thank goodness we both had T.J. Warren as our MVP in our bubble predictions a couple of weeks ago, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's so weird with this team because I feel like at some point Miles Turner had a breakout, right? Victor Oladipo definitely had a breakout. T.J. Warren mm-hmm. is having his breakout. Demodis Sabonis had his breakout earlier this year. Malcolm Brogdon had his breakout on the Bucks before he even joined the Pacers. And they're all on the same team, but they've never had their breakouts at the same time, right? Yeah. Like, Warren's going off now and Sabonis is hurt. And is Oladipo playing? Uh, he's played two of their three games and he has been okay. Right. Like, not 
where not like Oladipo 2017, 2018, but still a starter-ish level player. Right. But definitely not breakout Oladipo. Turner has yeah. been fine. And like, it's just so crazy to me because if all of those guys are healthy and playing as well as they have played in their careers, it's not like any of them are past their prime. Like they're all in their prime, but if mm-hmm. all of them played their best ball, which we've seen them play before, that's a really, really, really good team, but they just haven't been on the floor playing their best basketball together. And that is probably a little frustrating if you're a Pacers fan, but they have good players. Yeah, that's a fair point. Like they're just solid all around and like their bench simply by having all their guys available makes them solid. If like right now, what lamb had an ACL or Achilles tear, so he's not playing, but he was good off the bench. And then of course the bonus is missing time now because of that, um, preseason bubble injury and Brogdon Noladipo each missed a game in the bubble right now Aaron Holiday's playing well like yeah it's it's kind of odd but on my Warren take I know in our um in our East clincher uh preview I kind of disregarded him I said you know he's obviously a solid scorer he's improved a lot defensively and obviously I don't expect him to be like you know, 40 points a game with 65% from the field and 60% from three. But, you know, his performance in the bubble has kind of led me back to his overall stats on the year. And just like 54% from the field, 40% from three, like that's awesome. So I think I kind of underrated him. So let this be my apology to TJ Warren. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what's next for him, but he's, he's more than an okay player, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's next for him either. I'm really curious. And, you know, at the end of the day, props to him because coming out of college, he was known as a really good two-point shooter who Mm -hmm. hadn't made the jump to the three-point shot yet. And he didn't in Phoenix. And that's why they basically gave him away and he figured out the three-point shot. He was already one of the better two-point scorers in the NBA. And he has been for a while, but he never had the three-pointer. And clearly, whether this is a small sample size aberration or not, he has developed a three-point shot, 40% for the entire year should give you that, that, that reasoning that he has it now. And that just makes him one of the better, you know, like, like playmaking scorers at the wing position in the NBA. If he's making threes, he's a really good scorer. And if he isn't, then it limits his game. But because he's been making those threes, there you're seeing that scoring. Yeah, uh, so now we're going to move on to the Clippers. And we kind of have the same take in that, yes, they have a one and two record, which sounds bad on paper, but I don't think any less of them than I did before the bubble season. And in fact, there's a case that I think more of them, because I'm going to be honest, my take itself, let me just get to that, is uh, the Lakers lost means nothing. They lost by two, okay? Lou and Montrez were missing. Kawhi and PG outplayed Anthony Davis and LeBron. Anthony Davis had 34, but pretty inefficient. And LeBron wasn't good at all until the fourth quarter. And Kyle Kuzma and Deion Waiters were out of their minds. So once you get Lou and Montrez back, you're clearly winning that bench battle. And they had the better top-end talent last game. So, like, the Lakers won. Yes, there was kind of a meme on um, LeBron locking down Kawhi and PG at the end there. But that loss means nothing to me, which kind of leads me to your take. I still might have the Bucks over them, but hey, uh, one of the best teams in the bubble. 
Yeah, I have the Clippers as the best team in the bubble simply because you think about what they've been doing well, what they haven't been doing well. Their starters have been really good. Kawhi and Paul George have been really good. Even Zubac has been really good so far in the uh, in the bubble. But what has been poor is their bench has not been very good whatsoever, except the fact that they're missing, I don't know, the two best bench players in the entire NBA. So if their biggest weakness is going to be solved like with a snap of a finger very soon, to me, that kind of says that they're the best team in the bubble because when their starters are playing so well and Williams and Harrell are two of the more consistent scorers in the league, I see it being pretty hard to beat them in a seven-game series. Yeah, and just looking at the minutes per game here, Luke came back last game, played 20 minutes. That'll certainly come up. Reggie Jackson right now is playing 26. Guess who gets some of those minutes? It's Lou Williams. Yeah. Landry Shamit's played 22. That might come up. Patrick Patterson is played. He's also been really bad, too. Yeah, but I, I don't really, you know, he had, I think, the COVID, uh, which kind of stunted his progress. He may have missed a bubble exhibition. So I think that in the long run, he will be fine. By playoff time, he will be fine. Pat Bev only played 14 minutes a game, so he's going to borrow some minutes from Reggie Jackson as well. Patrick Patterson, 18.5 minutes per game. He played 12 during the regular season. Those minutes are going to come back to Montrez, Montrez when he's, you know, when he's back uh, in game. So I'm not at all worried about this team. Uh, I still think they're a lot better than the Lakers. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing how far they go in the playoffs. Yep. And then moving on to those Lakers, like you said, for me, like – I was saying last week that their supporting cast is pretty bad and mm -hmm. they're kind of worse than I thought. Like they've had a couple of individually decent performances, but they're like mid-level players have been bad led by Danny Green, but like their yeah. stars too. Their stars have also been bad. So, and that's kind of yeah. what your point is on. Yeah. Similar takes here. Uh, let's just keep it on their bench. The only, or not their bench, their supporting cast, the only player who consistently has uh, played at a higher level than the regular season is Kyle Kuzma. But, you know, Waiters outside of that first game has been inefficient. Caruso has been incredibly inefficient. Same as KCP, same as Danny Green, as you mentioned. Dwight Howard has gone, like, reverted to laziness almost. Markeith Morris has not played well either. And once again, I think this is a two-man team, but it's really more of a one-man team because if you look at the on-offs, they are terrible with LeBron off the floor, even with AD on. And LeBron is just playing like garbage. I mean, 19, 10, and 6 sounds like a good line, but it is LeBron, and he's also got 42% from the field and 27% from three. Anthony Davis, he's had some high point per game marks, but he's 25 points per game in the bubble, lower than his regular season mark, and 40% from the field as a dude who is 6'10" or really, you know, a bit taller than that, taking his wingspan into account. So, like, they just look kind of winded and not all that great. And, like, I know we said that we wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make the conference finals. Like, the Mavs, Rockets, and Nuggets haven't really impressed me all that much either. Maybe that'll change when Murray and Barton come back. But I don't know. Like, this team, it, it just seems off at the moment. I think it's kind of like a trickle-down effect. So think about it this way. Like, if you take Anthony Davis off of this roster, one could argue that this is the worst roster LeBron has had in a really, really long time. Like, since pre-Miami days, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One, this is one of the worst rosters he's ever had. So because of that, LeBron has to shoulder an extra load. And he envisioned this year being more of a him taking a step back scoring-wise and being a, more of a playmaker, which he was doing. The thing is, 
when a defense knows that his role players suck and when a defense knows that LeBron is trying to be more of a facilitator, then the defense can really, really key in on Anthony Davis. And that's why you've seen the inefficiency because defenses know that Anthony Davis is their scorer and they need to stop him. So then because Anthony Davis is, is being stopped, the onus then falls on LeBron. And the fact of the matter is LeBron as a scorer is just not what he once was. So when LeBron is trying to make plays with Anthony Davis doubled up and the rest of his role players being pretty trash, it makes him less efficient as well. It really just trickles down where Davis is getting the attention, which means LeBron is getting less, but enough that he's struggling, which means his role players get none, but they're also struggling because they suck. Like Raptors and Lakers, how many open shots did Lakers role players have? Like so many. Mm Mm-hmm. They're just keying in on Davis and then therefore keying in on LeBron as a secondary scorer. And there's just no answer to that. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to my uh, Clippers point where it's like, I don't expect Kuzma and Waiters to win games kind of like how they did against the Clippers. So that's why I'm not at all worried about that loss, especially when the Clippers bench is only getting better. Yeah. I mean, the Lakers have a lot of problems and they probably have sunk in their you know, their stock more than any team in the NBA, except for maybe the team we'll talk about now. What a good segue. Thank you. That was not even planned. The Memphis Grizzlies, I'm so sad for them. I love watching them play, but the energy is sucked out of that team. They know what's about to happen. Reality is setting in, and it's just not enjoyable to watch. I feel bad. Yeah. uh, My take itself is... I don't think they're making the playoffs. And, like, right now they're 0-4. They just lost Triple J, who has been their best guy in the bubble. John Brooks have been incredibly inefficient. Like, I don't know who will make the playoffs, just because really, outside of the Suns, no team in kind of that um, eight-seed range has really impressed me. And, like, the Suns are so far back, I'm not even sure if they're going to make it. But, yeah, I think at this point, when you start this poorly, you drop a game to the Pels. I I don't see good in their future. I think that they're probably going to miss the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they will regroup. Morant will get better. Jaron Jackson will come back. They'll get another scorer. I'm not too, too worried about their future. But, like, they were just so much fun to watch. Like, they were a youth movement who were happy to be there and just, like, surprising teams and all of that swagger and energy is gone and it all took was four losses but I guess that's what happens with a young team is you know when the when the uh when the momentum isn't there you tend to you know flop and and that's what's happening here which is I I can't help but feel sad yeah and I'm not gonna lie I don't think it's guaranteed that the record will get better next year just because I expect the Warriors and Timberwolves to be better so I don't think it's a guarantee that they'll just get better and make the playoffs because I mean even the Kings who have been trashed, but they're still like led by a pretty young guy as well. And, you know, obviously the Pelicans are in a similar boat. The Blazers have Dame, so you can never count them out and they'll probably have better injury luck next year. So, and the Suns, yeah, the Suns, of course, and Booker's been, you know, a God, basically they'll certainly get better and Aiton will get better. So like, I don't think it's a guarantee that they make the playoffs next year. Totally not. I I just feel so bad. Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll so go to the Miami Heat now. Yeah. Um, watching them play, wow, I love the combination of Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Duncan Robinson. Like, I wish they could play together forever. I, I think that, you know, 
Bam is such an enjoyable player to watch. Just Duncan Robinson being such an awesome shooter and playing with a great passer like like Bam Adebayo is at, at the big position is a lot of fun. And then Jimmy Butler just plays with such intensity. I love that combination. Yeah, uh, my take right now, I don't think full strength, they're the third best team in the East. But I mean, without Butler, they beat a Celtics team where like their top six were all healthy. So I've really liked what I've seen. None and Igudala and Derek Jones have not played how they should. And I think like this is proof that they're going to regret paying Igudala $16 million per year over the next two just because he's been terrible. And none, you know, has not played up to his standard either. But they've made up for that because Crowder's playing great. Robinson, as you said, is playing great. Olenek and Drogitz are playing great. And that's the thing. It's when you're this deep, you'll always have guys who exceed expectation for those that go under expectation. Yeah, I've been well, well off the Iguodala train for a couple of years now. I think he was basically a non-factor last year, despite what the mainstream media said. Yeah, um, Max Kellerman saying he'd rather have Andre Gudala take a shot at the end of the game than Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Max um, Kellerman also said Gudala was better than Lowry and Siakam. Like they're like, look, they have the uh, two of the three best players in the series, or whatever. No, they oh don't. Gosh. Um, yeah, he's not very good anymore because he's always been a defender. Sorry, first. three of the four. My bad. Because I he's forgot. He's always been a play. defender first, and he's mm-hmm. just an okay defender but he's such a negative offensively like yeah he provides nothing and then Kendrick Nunn you're saying he's not doing what we expect from him I didn't expect much from Kendrick Nunn I think that he caught some teams by surprise he got less efficient as the season went on and like he's I don't think he's that good and so I'm not too super surprised by his poor play thus far but it all comes back to me to to Butler, Bam, and, and, and Duncan Robinson. Dragic is obviously a great bonus, and Jay Crowder making three-pointers is huge for them, but their, 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 their core is a lot of fun to watch. I agree. Uh, yeah, once again, I wouldn't be surprised if this is actually the third-best team in the East if the Celtics have some setbacks. I'm not ready to fully say that yet, but that has been my observation so far in the bubble. I expected none to be better than six points a game on 35% from the field, though, and I think you could probably agree with me there. Yeah. And uh, Iguodala, the issue is, like, his best offensive strength is he is a guy on the taller side of things who can take up the ball and make some nice passes. But they already have a guy like that who's a lot better with the ball in his hands, who was better than Iguodala at his peak. So you don't really need that guy offensively. And defensively, like, he's still a positive, in my opinion, but he's also 36 years old, so he's not as potent as he once was. But also, his positive isn't, like, good enough to make – his defensive positive isn't good enough to make him playable. Like, what's the difference between him and Andre Roberson, other than the fact that Andre Roberson is 10 years younger? I'd say at this point, it's kind of tough because Roberson hasn't played – like, he's played a bit, but he's – he hasn't legit played in two years, so it's kind of tough to say, but – yeah, like I'm – I thought like Iguodala trade him like, okay, they got Crowder and Hill too. Like you should be able to get some solid basically three to four minutes there. But like then you extended Iguodala for $32 million in two years. Yeah, that's – And he's already 36 years old. He probably will not finish that contract out if I had to guess with Miami. Yeah, I th- like people thought he was going to retire this year. Yeah, that smells like a buyout to me. Uh-huh. 
But um, anyways, do you want to head to the Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton on the Bucks because they really haven't been trying all that much. So, yeah. like, Bledsoe came back late. They didn't play Brook Lopez for that game against the Nets where they also rested Middleton and Antetokounmpo in the second half. And they just, you know, like, they are much better than they've been playing, but that's because they haven't really been playing their great players. In their one, in their one game that you could actually take something away from, which was their loss against the Rockets, what I really took away because Giannis Lopez and Middleton were all awesome in that game. If you look at the numbers, is that once again you need Bledsoe to play like regular season Bledsoe in the playoffs. He wasn't there that game. He just played his first game. Played 18 minutes because, like we said, like starters didn't play upwards of 20 against the Nets, so we can't really talk about that game at all. But, like, if he is at his regular season level, that's a better third guy than the Clippers or Lakers have. <clears throat> Sorry, Clippers or Lakers have by a pretty good margin. So <laughs> I, think, I think you could say that. I think if you take into account his defense plus his offense, I think you could really say that. But, like – if he reverts to what he did last year in the playoffs, that's when they'll have their downfall again. And there'll probably be a downfall in the finals uh, and not the conference finals this year. But I think Bledsoe is the real difference maker for this team. I'll amend your statement a bit. I don't necessarily know for a fact that Bledsoe is the best third option, at least better than the Clippers. But if the Clippers and Bucks end up playing in the finals and Bledsoe is the better third option, then they have the advantage. I, I agree. But, like, for the Clippers, like, obviously they have three guys who are near Bledsoe level. But, like, I think it's pretty fair to say Bledsoe is better than – or four guys even. Bledsoe is better than, like, Montrez, Morris, Williams, or Pat Bev. Yeah, I mean, in terms of this season – I think I might have Morris higher, but also his role might be diminished to the point where it isn't really a conversation. So I think it depends on what role he plays on the team. But in theory, Bledsoe talent-wise, if a shot is falling, you're right, probably is the best third option. Mm -hmm. So do you want to head to the Pelicans now? Yeah. I mean, Zion has been on a minutes limit and he hasn't been great. Brandon Ingram has been very good. And, and to me, that's really the whole thing. We talked about earlier, mm -hmm. like earlier this month about, or I guess last month in July, about how that starting lineup with Ball, Ingram, Zion, uh, Derek Favors, and the fifth guy, Drew Holiday, obviously, Drew yeah. Holiday, was the best net rating in the NBA for a starting lineup. And that obviously was not necessarily true. And so they're regressing to the mean, but Brandon Ingram is still very very good yeah he uh, he's been solid hasn't been as good as he was in the regular season I think it just comes back to this team does not try when they do not have a fully healthy Zion which they don't have and I think we both on in terms of talent picked the Pelicans pretty high on our uh, kind of bubble non-clincher rankings but we both could say that we expected a different Zion especially with the amount of press coming out beforehand of oh he looks so good you got to see him in here and there and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, Drew hasn't been great. Uh, Ingram's been good, but actually worse than the regular season. Lonzo has been god-awful, like 27% from three, 23% from the field. Favors has also not been great. So, because, like, 
I think Zion is kind of the driver for this team. None of them have really played to the standard that we expected. So I don't think they're going to make the playoffs because of this slow start. Right now they're one and two. But, you know, they're they're fun. And I want – like, if this was a fully healthy Zion, I think it would be a completely different story. So do you think you don't have any less expectations for their future based off of what you've seen so far? Or do you think that's just, like, in a couple of games, can I make an assessment? Or do you think, you know what, business as usual, they're still going to be an elite team moving forward? They will be an elite team as long as Zion is healthy. I can agree with that assessment. That makes sense. Um, do you want to move on to the next team? A team that uh, yes, has been playing we, some awesome basketball, leading the NBA in net ratings since the bubble began, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder, or as I will call them, the West Coast Toronto Raptors, which is weird because they're not on the West Coast. They play in the Western yeah. Conference. They're kind of like a the, the Southern. The Southern Midwest Toronto Raptors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they both destroyed the Lakers, but Again, then again, kind of everyone is at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And they just have a roster with a good head coach, that, a roster that's just better than some of its parts. Like, they have so many good pieces to the point where when you put them all together, they're just a great basketball team. Yeah, not as deep as the Raptors, which is where the difference comes from, but I still think it's a very good uh, comparison there. Steven Adams has been awesome. Chris Paul has been awesome. SGA and Gallinari, I wouldn't say they've been awesome, but they both played pretty well, and Gallinari's only played 24 minutes a game. I wonder if he's on a minutes limit. I'll need to look into that specifically. Dort has been terrible offensively, which, you know, as we said, like the Thunder are legally not allowed to have a shooting guard that can actually shoot. So maybe right. that's something there. But hey, he did maybe- a good job on LeBron, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Despite being five inches shorter, like – He's just a powerhouse. He he is like what Tucker is to center power forward types, he is to wings. I think that's Lou fair Dort to say. might be a top five if they were a football player, basketball player. Oh yeah, certainly fair. Schroeder's played one game and he's really like one of their top five players, and they've still been this good. And Nader in eleven minutes per game. I've always been an Abdul Nader guy just because like he's a guy on drives. He's not that quick, but he just has massive shoulders and is really good at putting guys on his back to get to the rim do you want to know a really interesting fact about abdel nader to go off track for a quick second no what so abdel nader started his college career at eastern michigan he was on a team and played on a team that set an ncaa modern day record low with 27 points in a 40 minute they scored 27 points in a 40 minute game and they had a future nba rotation player in their starting lineup that that is god awful he obviously then went on to start iowa state after transferring from clearly a bad eastern michigan team and then worked his way up being an awesome g league guy and now is playing in the nba but i just can't believe that a college team could score 27 points and have an nba player on their roster sorry for getting off track that that's fair but yeah nader's been good i like him i think he has the chance to be a pretty legitimate rotation player in the future but i think like I don't think Donovan's as good a coach as Nick Nurse. Sorry, salty NBA coaches. But, <laughs> but like, Donovan has impressed me a lot this year. I thought if things went wrong this year, they'd probably get rid of him. But he's very much earned his keep this year. Paul's been great in the bubble once again. And I just think at this point, like, if you don't have him in your 
top five point guards of all time. You're just disrespectful. He is that good. And I know that he's had like some weird playoff moments, but if you look at his playoff numbers in total, they've been so awesome. So any of his losses, I wouldn't put that on him. And dare I say, his career is better than Dwayne Wade's. And I know he has, uh, what is it, three less rings, but I still think like rings aside, Paul has had the better career than Wade. I agree with everything you said up until that Wade thing. Yeah, I, that I always gets more, divisive. Right. And I think it's, I have to do some more research. For me, off the top of my head, I think about that 06 season where he averaged, you know, 32 a game and won a championship. And then obviously the Miami days. I, I would have to do some research, but I do think that Chris Paul is criminally underrated and gets, you know, the short end of the stick way too often. He is really, really good and has been for such a long time. So I totally agree with you on that. Mm hmm. And yeah, 35 years old, like I'm not going to say that was a good contract that the Rockets gave him last year, but I mean, so far he's, or this year at least, he's probably lived up to that money. Yeah, for sure. uh, And I don't think anyone would have expected that. Yeah, especially coming off of a pretty injury-prone year with the Rockets. But just just claps to them. I guess that vegan diet's doing well for Paul. Right. Uh, okay. And so now I really want to move on to the next. I want to move on to this next team real quick because I don't know if you got my joke. Did you get my joke? Uh, did you send it on Messenger? No, no, no. It's it's in my take is that Isaac, Jonathan Isaac, for the Orlando Magic, Jonathan Isaac was the. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah, standing. I didn't see that. But that's yeah. Sorry. Say it again because I interrupted you. But that's a good one. I'm <laughs> yes, a fan. Jonathan of that. Isaac was there. Was the only thing helping their standing, right? Yes. Because uh-huh. he was standing the anthem yes. he was the only one to stand and he was yes. the only one helping them being the seventh seed in the east because they have been pretty bad since he got hurt even though he barely played before he did well they look like legit world beaters his first game he had like 16 points in 16 minutes so like the thing they were saying about oh his offense has gotten better since he last played like that seemed in a tiny sample at least that seemed kind of true but once again like I was hoping that maybe by the playoffs he'd get, or not hoping because they probably play the Raptors, but for their sake, maybe he'd get 30 minutes a game. But it turns out he played a game and a half and tore his ACL. And once again, James Ennis is going to get a lot more minutes than he probably should now. So, uh, yeah, my take is they look scary for a game in a bit because that's, you know, what he played. Yeah, and those uh, that Milwaukee-Brooklyn matchup and that Toronto – Orlando matchup won't be very long series. Yeah, that's for sure. Do you think the Magic take a game off the Raptors? Probably not, just because, you know, you think about teams that take a game off of teams that are way, way better than them. It normally involves a player just going off, and the Magic don't really have a player that can go off. There was that whole DJ Augustine game last year. But that was in conjunction with Kyle Lowry having his worst playoff game ever. And that's saying something because Kyle Lowry's had a lot of bad playoff games. So I don't think that the Magic will take a game off the Raptors now. Yeah, I guess the conversation is, you know, they won one at home against the Raps and now they're playing on neutral ground. So, like, I think that the Raps probably sweep, but I wouldn't be surprised if they took a game off. Let's think about what the Raptors have been best at this year. It's just beating teams that are not as talented as them. And when the the, the Raptors face a team that is less talented than them, they pretty much never lose. And so I don't think that they will lose a game in that series. 
Mm -hmm. Next, we head to the Sixers, who outside of Embiid and Harris have just been an utter mess. Right now, they're two and one, but only with a two net rating. Uh, do you want to just get into the weirdness that is this team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty established that it, you know you could go into the dynamic issues, the the basketball issues, and the fit issues on this team if you wanted to. To me, I think it boils down to something simpler. It's if just Joel Embiid needs to dominate for this team to survive. If he is not great, then they're going to lose games. And so far, he's been pretty great, and therefore they won. Like, if Joel Embiid doesn't have the game he has against the Wizards the other night, they lose that game. Mm-hmm. Right? So that, that really is it to me. If Embiid plays awesome, then they'll be fine-ish. But if he doesn't, and he's been inconsistent over his career, then they're in a lot of trouble. Okay, so my take here, and I think Simmons may have gotten hurt. I'm not quite sure how long that should have him out. He's day-to-day, but he shouldn't be out too long. Okay, so my take here is, like, I'm tired of the Ben Simmons should be playing power forward takes. I think if these three games prove anything, it's that Simmons, like, is a lot better with the ball in his hands. And I know that people were like, oh, he's going to set screens. It's going to be great. But people seem to have forgotten he is – one of the most elite passers in the NBA and just a guy who is like 6'10 and one of the best athletes in the NBA and strong as an ox. So also one of the best guys in penetration. So I understand that he can't shoot or whatever, but like power forwards shoot too today. So I don't really understand why they're like, Oh no, no. Shake Milton needs these possessions. Like that's kind of confused me. I think Milton's a rotation player, but I don't understand why they, kind of crowned him as their point guard like Simmons is a point guard and I think he's a clearly flawed player but not to use a Kevin Durant saying but I'm tired of the blog boys kind of making their dumb nitpicks uh, based on criticism that unless Simmons can fix it like you know it's just kind of how it is yeah I think that not having a having the point guard you know exposes his flaws more so like mm-hmm. Having Simmons in the quote-unquote dunker spot and setting screens is essentially just having an athletic guy. It's, it's like it's having an it's, athletic guy that can't shoot. What's the point of that? It's offensively having Norvell Pell. Right. Like, I was going to say Derek Jones Jr., but, but that's he's not as strong as Ben Simmons is. But uh, to me, it's just like if you're going to have a 6'10 elite athlete who can make plays for others but cannot shoot, why? Would you not put him on the ball? Yeah, I would much rather. That's the whole thing where it's like, oh, nowadays you need a point guard that could shoot. Like, it's preferred, but that's the only thing he can't do. And if he can't shoot, you don't want him in the corner shooting threes as a power forward. Like, what do they think the modern NBA is now? Do, you think, do they think he's going to turn himself into some sort of Aussie Charles Oakley? And how is that better than what he was before? And the craziest thing is, if you change, if you moved into point guard, you still wouldn't have to change your starting lineup at all because Josh Richardson and Shake Milton can play off the ball. Tobias Harris would be a good pick and pop partner with Ben Simmons. So, like, you wouldn't even have to change your lineup at all. You would just have to move positions. Uh huh. Yeah. It's, it's kind of been ridiculous. But also, Brett, Brett Brown, the fact that he still has a job, just kind of. He won't act. He, he can't after this year, right? Like, there's no way to give him another chance. Well, this is my biggest issue I've had with him throughout his whole tenure. And I know he's done some weird stuff 
he, and I'm not saying he's an awesome coach or whatever, but it seems like he gave in to the, you need to do something about the Simmons and Embiid pairing when it's, the flaws are a lot more with the front office than Brett Brown. I don't think he's a good coach. I don't think he should keep his job, but I think that this was the nail in the coffin and I don't really expect much of them. Yeah. I I'm off the Brett Brown train a hundred percent. And I have been for some time, but moving on to the next team who I, I I'm very excited about their future and even kind of this season too, which is the Phoenix suns mm. and no disrespect to Don Deandre Ayton. Cause I really do like Deandre Ayton but they're doing all of this without their second best player in Kelly Oubre. I agree with that assessment. And yeah, it's just, they have a bunch of solid rotation guys. Fun fact so far in the bubble, do you know how many players they've played? I mean, I feel like not that many. Yeah. Nine. They've played nine guys. One of them on Carter, uh, Dario Saric off the bench. Who are the other two? Uh, off the bench, Frank Kaminsky, who's played 10 minutes a game, and Cameron Payne, who is somehow doing awesome. Right. Despite... I, I completely forgot that Cameron Payne is like a, a, a semi-decent backup point guard now. Yeah, like that's kind of been confusing. But, I mean, when you have Booker, who at this point is one of the better – sorry, not one of the better – one of the best scorers in the NBA, Rubio has been awesome in the bubble as well. Aiton's been good. And once again, not only have they done this without Oubre, they did this without Baines, who, like, I'm not saying he was, he'd be as great as he was at the start of the year, but he's still a good rotation player. But they just have solid guys, basically, I'd say solid one to seven. And then you throw in, you know, Kaminsky and uh, Carter after that. But Yeah, and they're almost all two-way guys too, right? Like, Booker is not a great defender, but – Aiton's been a really good defender this year. Mikhail Bridges is, I think, has the opportunity to be one of the better two-way guys in the NBA. And yeah, I agree. You know, Kelly Oubre really fits into that role. I think the one thing that they changed that's really been to their benefit is they moved Dario Sarr to the bench and brought in Cam Johnson. Yeah, who, a uh, bit more switchability much, in their right, starting. More line. switchability, more mobile. But between him and Bridges, they can handle guarding fours in the modern NBA. But their offense is just way more flowy with Dario Saric on the bench. So I think that was a really smart move. And Cam Johnson's been really good. And a lot of people made fun of the Suns picking a 24-year-old the lottery pick. But, yeah. I mean, he stepped in, and, and he's been really good. I still think it's a bad pick, but it's not because I didn't think he'd be a good rotation player. It's, once again, because he's 24. And I don't think, like, 6'9 by 6'7, I don't think at age 24 you get much better than you are now. But he's a good player nonetheless. Yeah, and he'll be in their top six guys moving forward. So I, I, I suppose with the amount of busts that could foam up in the next couple of years, that will look like a decent pick moving forward. Mm-hmm. Their net rating's been 5.8. Uh, they're 3-0. and They beat the Clippers in pretty dramatic fashion. So, like, I don't think this team will make the playoffs because they started pretty behind as it is. But they've really impressed me so far. Yeah, and when Kelly Oubre comes back, this will be a really good team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So next we have the Blazers, who, like, personally, I'm just going to say, people need to calm down about them. Uh, they beat the Rockets, and admittedly, that was a solid win, but it was tight. And I forget who else they beat. People are putting out these mellow petitions about how he's good or whatever, which it's like, I, I was a, a mellow skeptic, I guess you could say, 
My issues were not that he wouldn't be able to hit a game winner. It's the dumb stuff he does within the regular part of the game, which I'm still not off of. And also, he's not a three. Like, I know he's skinny and locked up Mario Hazonia in a practice in the bubble or whatever, but he's still a power forward at this point in his career. And which kind of brings me to your point. I want Trent three, Mello four. Collins hasn't really impressed me at all. I don't think he has. I don't know what he's done to earn this favor within the Blazers, but I think that they're best moving forward with Trent at the three and Mello at the four. Well, what he's done is being the ninth overall pick is what Zach Collins did. Mm-hmm. Also, cool. Yusuf Nurkic has been pretty good coming back from injury. That's a con- encouraging sign. But yeah, for me, the biggest takeaway is Gary Trent Jr. is really good. And yeah. I'm really kind of surprised that he fell to the second round in last year's draft because he was a great three-point shooter at Duke. And I think people just assumed, you know, he's what, six foot four. He's not a great defender. He's not very good with the ball in his hands. Why bother? But if you look at the amount of elite, elite three-point shooters that aren't necessarily good at much else that have been able to stick in the league and be good players, plus the ability of Gary Trent, you know, maybe gain a little bit of on-ball playmaking. And that's kind of all happened, and it's made him a really good offensive player, especially when you put him next to guys like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum that demand defensive attention. He is sort of in like the Seth Curry vein, but mm-hmm. I think has a higher ceiling. Well, yeah, he is bigger, a lot stronger too. I don't think he's been that bad defensively this year just because of his strength. So you could kind of, you know, put him on higher positions because of that. And you brought up Curry. I'm going to bring up Rodney Hood just because, like, he was the guy who took pressure off of Lillard and McCollum because he can make plays with the ball in his hands and you could sort of work Lillard and McCollum off ball. I don't think Trent has the ball handling that Hood did, but I think he's a nice pressure valve, I guess, for Lillard and McCollum. Yeah, and he'll be a big piece of their team moving forward. And I think that between that and Nurkic playing well after that long you know, break has been some encouraging signs. Mm-hmm. And sorry, just to end this off, are you with me on Collins? Because I think at this point, you just move Mello to the four, you play Trent at three, you hand Collins basically back up Mello minutes and that's it. And you do the same with Whiteside for Nurkic. I'm it's tired tough. of the overlapping Nurkic Whiteside minutes personally. It's just tough because Collins, I think, is a center and would be much, much better as a center but you can't play him at center because you have Nurkic and because you have Whiteside. So he's hasn't been great because I think he's in the wrong position. And that's a little bit of an issue there. It's like Nurkic has been super effective for a really long time, but you have an investment in Zach Collins and you're not doing him any favors by playing a seven foot dude who isn't unbelievably athletic at power forward. Yeah. And you know, he's not that great a shooter despite the fact that he's taken a few attempts. So, yeah, right. once again, just not a big Collins guy here, clearly. Uh, so, next, we have the Kings. Matthew, can you just read my take for, uh, for the uh, it would folks be, at home? Ugh. Yeah, uh, and yours is pretty much the same. Yeah, it's like, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, uh, and then the 30, 20, and 10, or about 30, 30, 20, and 12, maybe what it was that Luka Doncic dropped, it just keeps on getting worse for the Kings. Like, first they passed up on Doncic, and then Doncic went on to have an awesome two years, and Marvin Bagley's second year was full with injuries. And then 
in a game in the bubble where the Kings are out of the playoffs and the Mavericks are in the playoffs, where Marvin Bagley Jr. is out due to injury again, Doncic just drops 30, 20, and 12 on the Kings. And that just kind of says enough about the mm-hmm. situation. And, like, I feel like they're – the Kings are a team speaking on Doncic and that whole draft situation, even though everyone's kind of spoken immensely about that. They're a team of – it's either a false premise or a false conclusion in that they're like, look, you're not seeing what we're seeing of Fox. We think he could be a star next year. And he was, but at the same time, like Luca was so ahead of Bagley and all the projections that like Doncic can play some a bit off ball. Fox as a cutter might be actually solid off ball, despite not being the best shooter. You can have them both and you could still do some great things, but obviously they did not do that. Right now they're 0-3 with the second worst net rating in the bubble at negative 10.1. The only team worse than them is the Wizards uh, and their roster has not been nearly as depleted as the Wizards. Pretty much everyone has underperformed, except for, hey, that star, De'Aaron Fox, who's putting up 27 pretty efficiently. I was going to say, he's, he was, he's been pretty, pretty good, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Exactly. And also, Giles has been solid in limited minutes as well, but good outside of them too. Like, no one's really performed to their usual standard. Good for Harry Giles. I'm glad that he's starting to, you know, I was a little skeptical that his NBA career would ever really happen, but I'm happy that it is. But yeah, um, San Antonio Spurs are next. I would say that I like their role players. They have a lot of good role players. DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson. But they're all similar positionally. And I don't think any of them say first or even second option down the road for this team. Yeah, I okay. So I was kind of skeptical of that core originally. So mine is a more optimistic version of yours where it's like better future than I thought. Uh and they've drafted, I think, pretty well so far. I think Derek White is or will probably end up being a starting level point guard. I think Murray is just a still after the injury, a smothering defender. And despite, you know, four games in the bubble that haven't been all that efficient, he's grown on the offensive end. In the bubble, Walker and Johnson have really impressed me, specifically Johnson, who's just he's a lot stronger than I remember him being. And he's really good at just once again putting guys on his back and getting to the basket. So like, if these guys were all, like, a few inches taller, then it would almost be what the Celtics had in Tatum and Brown, but they're not. So they're probably going to need to give at least one of these guys up. But I like the young guys. I like all of the young guys. And that's more than what can be said about, you know, what I thought previously. Yeah, that's true. I think DeJounte might be the tallest of the four of them. I think Johnson's listed the tallest, but... Murray plays the biggest despite technically being a point guard. Or actually, Johnson, Johnson's playing bigger now. So they're kind of similar, I guess. Yeah, but they're, bas- they're basically four guys playing two to maybe three positions. That'll be a little bit of a concern. But, hey, when you have players that are young and playing well, I guess you can't complain that much. Mm-hmm. Their old dudes are playing well as well. Like, DeRozan's been pretty good, and I kind of like him as a power forward. Rudy Gay, same thing here. Uh, and, you know, they might enter, you know, the bubble games, right? So like the eight, nine games that they're going to do. If things yeah. are within four games of each other. But two and 2.4 net rating, that is modern Spurs basketball. Pretty much. That is what we've grown to know the Spurs on the past couple of years. And frankly, I don't think it'll change. They'll be an average team for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's head to the Raptors. Matthew, I will concede once again, I, 
I'm taking the Raps as my second best team in the East now. I'm quite, I'm not quite ready to move the Celtics to fourth, but I think the Heat have been playing well as well. And that's just because they've been absolutely smothering defensively. You said they're the best defense in the league. I still think the Bucks are probably right there, but it's tight. Uh, and their offense, like outside of Van Vliet, everyone's kind of been below average or below their standard on that end. Sorry, Van Vliet and OG as well. So I think that they'll grow on that end. And if they can sustain this level of defense, they're a lot more dangerous than I originally thought. Here's the thing. The Raptors, I mean, first of all, they do have the best defense rating in the NBA right now. And like, sure, there are a lot of numbers that support the Milwaukee Bucks argument. But at some point, just like, I'm not saying you don't, but at some point, if you just turn on the TV and watch the Raptors play defense, I don't need numbers to say that they're the clear, they're the best defense in the NBA by clear margin. Like, the way that they play defense is less about numbers and more about the fact that, A, their rotations are flawless almost always, and yeah. B, they almost always take a team's best scorer and minimize them significantly. And they do that so well. They will, like... In the same way that Bill Belichick does in the NFL, they will say, your number one option will not beat us. Your number two option will not have his best game. And you will need your three through five, six, seven options to beat us, or else you will not win. And yeah. for an NBA defense to be able to do that in a league where NBA's the best teams are full of superstars is key beyond belief. And if they can continue to shut down some of the best players in this league, then it's going to be tough to beat them. Mm -hmm. A few notes there. I do think that they have the prettiest defense in the league, which sounds kind of weird, but I legit enjoy them playing defense a lot more than every other team in the league. So they have the best defensive rating in the bubble, but on the year, I still think the Bucks are ahead of them. Uh, and shout out to OG for locking down LeBron and then wearing that shirt after. Did you see the shirt or no? No, I didn't actually. Uh, so it was when LeBron hit the game winner over OG uh, in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Yep. Uh -huh. That's good. Good for OG. I know that that was tough on him. And him missing the playoffs last year was tough on him. But he's looked really good offensively. And I think that it's been a little underrated. Obviously, people have been talking about it. But he looks good. Yeah, I forget who. Maybe it was Pascal who said he's basically a center. And that's kind of fair. When you look at, like, the size difference between Bam and OG, like, Bam might be an inch taller. But OG's just as strong as he is. So, technically, he could defend, you know, almost one through five, you could say. It's a good – it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, and that's yeah, – I can mention it as well. Watching the Heat game, I just thought, wow, Bam is playing so well as a center and he's real small. But also, I didn't really think of the flip side where, yeah, Ananobi's a bit shorter, but he's a strong dude and a very long dude too. So, I think that he could play center against some teams for sure. Uh-huh. So next we get to the Jazz, record of 500, but a net rating of negative uh, 4.5, so real bad. We have, I think, more different takes on this one, not because we, we disagree. We just focused on different things. So, Matt, do you want to go to yours first? Yeah, I think most of the non-playoff West teams are better than the Jazz. Mm -hmm. In fact, maybe all of them but the Kings. They just The Bogdanovich loss was even bigger than I would have thought. And not only that, but it's kind of made Mitchell's job, Donovan Mitchell's job way harder. Their bench has been bad, and they just – it's going to be a pretty easy first-round series for whoever faces them. Yeah, so for my Celtics take uh, that you already 
Sorry, you know, you mean Jazz? You said Celtics. No, no, I'm saying for my Celtics take that I've already oh. switched on. It seems like now you have the Thunder way ahead of the Jazz. Yes. Uh, so you've kind of agreed with me there. So there you go. Uh, getting closer together here. I just decided to attack this from a different point of view. Uh, obviously, most of their guys haven't been that great. Specifically, Mitchell's been incredibly inefficient. Same as Clarkson. Uh, but at the same time, I'm just happy that Conley is playing this well. And I think, you know, we can say, like, his best days might be behind him, but I think he's he has proven that he's still a lot better than how he showed to be uh, pre-bubble with the Jazz. Right now he's at 20 points a game, six assists, and he's doing it pretty efficiently. And when you watch him, he just looks a lot more confident out there. And dare I say, if he keeps playing like this, he is the Jazz best player, technically. Yeah, I'm happy for him as well. This is kind of making you think, well, hmm, if they had Bogdanovich and they had a better bench, then maybe, but no. Nah. Yeah, and I wouldn't go quite as far to say that, you know, most non-playoff West teams here are better. Maybe at full strength, some of them are, if you don't think, like if you're not including Bojan in that. I still think that there's a gap between them and, say, the Kings and the, the Kings, Pelicans, sure. as, as we've seen them so far, and the Grizzlies. Like, I still think that they're better than a, the thing a is, lot of them. It's like if you matched up the Jazz and the Suns today or the Jazz and the Spurs today, I would consider the, the, the Spurs and the Suns. I would consider what? the Suns. I'm having trouble considering the Spurs. Fair enough. That makes sense. But, yeah, uh, moving on to um, our last team, we saved the best for last, uh -huh. the Washington Wizards. And we both kind of have – because as a team, they're kind of uh, a joke. Like, but yeah – Sorry. As individual players, there are certainly some positives to look at. And my positive chosen look at is Troy Brown Jr., who I've really enjoyed playing ever since they've really been devoid of other scorers. And I think that I was not a big Troy Brown Jr. getting picked in the lottery fan, but I'm now on Troy Brown Jr.'s side. Yeah, me neither there. I, you know, we both decided to go more optimistic here just because I don't think anyone was expecting them to make the playoffs when they're six games back without their two best players. Yeah. And more shots have gone around. Like we mentioned Bryant earlier, he's been awesome. But I'm just not a Bryant guy because he's not a good defender at all. But, yeah, you decide to point out Troy Brown Jr. He's still missing the three. And like you, I wasn't a fan of him getting picked as high as he did just because, like, he, I was sniffing a lot of Evan Turner on him. So, yeah, not yeah, great. He's stuff. a better scorer than Turner ever was. But that makes sense. Uh-huh. But with that being said, he has played very well in the bubble. And, like, he's not a great three-point shooter. But dare I remind you, this year he's been 33%, which is a lot better than um, his 23% in the bubble. So I think his future is looking bright. For me, I thought of a guy as well, uh, another lottery pick uh, for the Clippers, I think probably in the same draft as Brown. Jerome no, Robinson. a year after. Oh, sorry, a year after Brown. Jerome Robinson. No, who, I was uh, wrong. That's the same draft. Oh, okay. Uh, who's been great, 17 points a game, 46% from the field, 36% from three. And we never got to see him play with the Clippers. And now he's getting a real chance for real minutes, and he's doing well. Uh, ho I hope for him that this continues because he's, he's very much impressed me so far. I, I can't say – I mean, he's been impressive, but I can't say I'm on the Jerome, Jerome Robinson train just because – I still think he's too small to play the wing, and I still don't think he's athletic enough to get to the basket efficiently, and I still don't think he's a very good defender. And sure, 
he is a very good shooter and that's why he was drafted but I think that he's going to struggle to score on ball consistently given his size and athletic ability and so he's essentially just an off-ball shooter which there are plenty of off-ball shooters who are better shooters than him and so he's been playing well but I don't think that I see a long-term successful future for him in the NBA. I can see him as a consistent rotation guy, I think, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, that was, you know, that was an exhilarating team there, the Wizards. Great way to finish the episode off. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I guess thank you very much for listening. Uh, Hope you've enjoyed. See you later.